Hello and welcome to Sound Salad, where we toss around all things spoken and all things heard. Brought to you by Audiobooks New Zealand, New Zealand's leading producer of audio content. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell. Kia ora everybody and welcome back for season two of Sound Salad. So on our third episode today, we are joined by the lovely Rosie Fennick. So she's made the shift from writing part-time alongside a medical career to working full-time as a mystery and women's fiction writer. Uh, some titles include the Euphemia Sage Chronicles with Hot Flush, Switched Up and Empty Nest, among other solo titles as well. And she's also the esteemed editor of In Practice, The Lives of New Zealand Women Doctors in the 21st Century. So her recent cryptocurrency thriller, Cold Wallet, is stocked on the shelves of your local bookstores and on Amazon, I believe, soon. Is that right? You know, it's on Amazon, yes. It's on, it is on Amazon. Brilliant. There you go. There you go, listeners. And, and wide. So you can get it on Kobo and, and um, all, the, all the other e-platforms. Brilliant. Awesome. Wonderful. And the audiobook will be available through Audiobooks NZ shortly. So without further ado, Rosie. Would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself and your life down in the Wairarapa wine region of Martinborough? Well, my life is very still in comparison to what it was when I was working full-time as a doctor. There's yeah. me, my garden, and my three dogs. Yesterday, my dog went, one of my dogs went missing, and I was in um, uh, quite upset until I found out that the dog was over at the golf club at the barbecue eating all the sausages, and she still, he still hasn't recovered. So oh, that's about it. my life, really. <laughs> oh, man. It couldn't, it, honestly, that would not be able to take place in Auckland, I don't think. Somebody would have called up someone and something awful would have taken place, no doubt. The wonders of yeah. small towns, eh? <laughs> Absolutely, because it was really lovely. You just go onto the local Martinborough um, Facebook post and say, yeah. my dog is missing, please help. And all these people offer to come and look and help. And then you get reports I was seen on the golf course and everything else. So small towns are wonderful. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. <laughs> um, so, well, let's let's jump straight on in, eh? Um, well, we won't focus too much on the past necessarily, but I'm really fascinated. Yeah. What, what was the process like shifting from something as demanding as medicine into literature? you know, and into just like using completely different skills of, of yours, obviously. What was that like? What was, what sort of influenced that? What made you do that? Medicine involves a lot of history taking and listening to stories. And uh -huh. so it's just as easy to make up stories as to listen to stories. So nice. that part of it is not too different. The whole coming to terms with ebooks, marketing platforms, mm self-publishing on different platforms, working out how Instagram and Facebook work, yeah. making all the electronic side of it work alongside the literary side of it is quite tricky. The literary side of it is just fun. You just yeah. get into your Zoom place and you just go with it. And it's huge fun, particularly the Euphemia Sage books, which I'm writing. They're very, they're funny and yeah. they're light 
And because there's a superheroine involved, I don't have to stick to normal reality. I can go wherever it wants to go. Yeah. And um, so she does. She does. She can do things that other women can't do. Whereas in Cold Wallet, that required an awful lot of research into cryptocurrency. And mm. the cryptocurrency world as it was in 2017, 18, and 19. And it was yeah. a very different world only three years ago. It, um, to what it is now. Yes, right. Well, I mean, tell us a bit about that. So Cold Wallet is obviously um, the sort of main context of it is in and around this whole cryptocurrency sort of, I don't know, genre, like idea. My gosh, I mean, it's so foreign to me, honestly. I can do words and things, but that but that whole thing, I'm, I have I have nothing but admiration for you jumping into that as a as a kind of subject matter. So like without, without giving too much um, away of the novel, is there a little bit that you can tell us about that? Well, Jess is a young doctor who falls madly in love with one of her patients, which is not entirely ethical, but mm -hmm. wasn't actually one of her patients. It was her professor's patient, and um, he was out of hospital before they really fell in love. They marry quickly, go away on their honeymoon, and her husband dies. And when she returns to Auckland, she's been left his cryptocurrency exchange Mm -hmm. But the passwords to the cold wallets where the assets to the exchange are missing. And the deeper she tries to dive into the cryptocurrency world to find the assets of all the clients of the cryptocurrency exchange, the more murky things get and the more dangerous things get. And that's where the book really takes off. Mm. Gosh, wow. So, so, so you sort of said that you began looking at this in what, like 2017 to 2019? Yeah, 2017, 2018. Yeah, there was right. a There was a an exchange in Canada called Quadriga where mm -hmm. the owner went away on his honeymoon um, with his wife to India and never came back. Wow. And much like in my story, but with completely different characters, the passwords to the cold wallets were missing they have managed to track down what happened to most of the assets because the canadian security commission got involved as you would expect yeah, yeah. and were able to um, find out what had happened and basically that was a giant ponzi scheme that goes to show how much the cryptocurrency world has changed since 2013 14 15 and 16 which was when the owner of the Canadian exchange was operating. The world of cryptocurrency has become much more regulated since then mm. and the ability to track coins using the information on the blockchain has become much more sophisticated. So the possibility of theft of cryptocurrencies has reduced. It's not entirely eliminated just as it's not just as it's not um, impossible to steal from other financial institutions. Mm. So it's really basically the murky world of high finance and who gets involved and why. And the book is set in Auckland. Mm -hmm. Cold Wallet is set um, in downtown Auckland. Jess is unable to practice medicine while she is focusing on learning about cryptocurrency. And, of course, the reader learns about cryptocurrency at the same time as Jess does yeah. and learns about the intricacies of that 
and also the different people, the different characters who use cryptocurrency as part of their everyday lives, um, they are gradually intertwined into the story until we come to the exciting ending, which takes place both in Auckland and on the island of Corfu. Mm, yes. What led to us ending up in Corfu? Basically, Jess had always wanted to go there since she was a yeah. child, having read Gerald Durrell's book, My Favourite Ant, My Family and Other Animals. And yeah. um, that was one of my books that I liked as a child. It always yeah. amused me. And so I always wanted to go to Corfu. And luckily, before I became a full-time author, I was able to go there. And so I was able to use the settings for that yes. in the final part of the book. That's so cool. I mean, I only wanted to bring that up because I was, um, I'm aware that you, that you are very well traveled, but also obviously you have, you know, been able to do quite a significant amount of travel to um, relatively interesting places, not only through your um, medicine, but also through research for your book and things. So um, are there any other kind of key sort of spots that you felt like you kind of drew from, 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 from all of those experiences of yours to, to, to include in, in the story? Main, well, Fiji and the Fijian mm. Islands, which is where they went for their honeymoon. I was yes. lucky enough to go there. And I was also worked in Samoa many years before you were born. Mm. And um, then I went back there with a charity that we had and did some work in Samoa over a number of times. So I've been there quite a few times. So the whole idea of the tropical island is not foreign to me. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I love it. I love it. So interesting. I mean, one would assume that there would be automatic themes that you'd be an expert in when it comes to writing based on your like medical background and everything. So what actually, like, was there an instance or, or anything in particular that, that really struck out at you to really like invest in, in this cryptocurrency context or theme? Was there something that happened that just made you go, yes, I need to explore that? Um, not in the medical context, but I've always been fascinated by progress and, and science and where mm. the world is going. And I certainly see cryptocurrency as a major step forward in how finance is going to be managed into the 21st century. It's highly amusing that people say, oh, you know, crypto's just crashed last Friday, and it did, but it's also yeah. come back again. And it yeah. didn't crash through to the levels that it was in the setting in the book. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not going to go away despite what people think. And it's not a crook scheme and it's not mm. um, a Ponzi scheme. It's actually, it's, it, I mean, that and the metaverse are where the world is going to go and where a lot of thought and a lot of science and a lot of everyday life is going to go. And how, I mean, 30 years ago, who would have understood the Internet of Things? Yeah. With me, you know, so so I'm, I'm just fascinated with progress and science and technology, and that's probably what led to the cryptocurrency interest. And then once you dive down that rabbit hole, it's very hard to get out because the whole concept of blockchains holding information is fascinating. And there may well come a time when blockchains will be the perfect venue, um, digital venue for medical records because... Mm. Sorry, go yeah, on. And, I'm and just, every, yeah. every person could carry their blockchain around um, and have, you know, transactions into it because it's verifiable, it's uncorruptible if you set up the right algorithms, and it's um, highly reliable. 
Yeah. And so if everybody could carry around their own medical records with input from various, you know, all the different doctors and therapists and everything that you see throughout your lifetime, your blockchain medical record could be an integrated part of your electronic footprint mm. that we all have. Gosh, that's so, and, and is, is that and sort of stuff already to- happening? Do you know? Well, it will be. Yeah. It will be. It's a matter it's, of time, I, I don't eh? know. It won't, won't be happening in New Zealand. And you don't want to get me on the health system of New Zealand, I'm sorry. <laughs> and where that's going. Um, yeah, they won't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just despair at what we're doing electronically with um, mm. medical databases in New Zealand. It seems to be very slow and very behind the eight ball of other countries. But never mind. Yeah. Um, other countries will develop blockchains and hopefully New Zealand will be able to afford to catch up. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, but you, so- I mean, you can use blockchains. Blockchains are now used for imports and exports. So you can um, take your, your um, shorn wool, pack it up into a container or whatever, you know, verify mm-hmm. it, stamp it, and then... then um, the integrity of the product is maintained by additions to the blockchain until it arrives at the consumer. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's a means of establishing integrity. And the same yes. thing is happening for luxury goods. And so the blockchain, which is just a form of ledger, mm. um, can be used for many, many different um different types of information finance is just one of them and um and that will be where where the world is going yeah gosh it's such a i mean yeah from 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 one little well seemingly little word cryptocurrency it's it's Mm. interesting how how many different areas that word seems to influence or seems to have a kind of touch into a it's a um you have you've clearly really delved super, super deep into this yep. whole realm. Well, and, the, and I'm, and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, in the beginning <laughs> of the 1990s, everybody was talking about the internet in much the same way. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so we're just looking at the advance of technology, and that's what fascinates me and where mm. it's going to go. And I would have to say that since I started my initial research, the world of cryptocurrency has moved on so much and so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you know it just blindsides me yeah oh, you have to mate. be very young to keep up with it and very involved with it yeah totally yeah it's all yeah. it's sort of i mean well it is it is a stock exchange element right you know people are sort of up all hours of the day and night making sure that they're completely on spec with that it's a complete full-time job by the sounds of things yeah, um, yeah you know totally. a, an absolute yeah. full-time job um if, and some somebody has to do it thank goodness it's yep. not me um I can do words <laughs> and things but you know numbers yeah. and cyber intelligence related jargon is a whole nother level so um stepping onto that what exactly is a cold wallet which is which happens to be the title of the um the recent release novel yeah right cold wallet well, so when what, what exactly is that <laughs> when you're buying cryptocurrency whether it's bitcoin or tethers or ethereum or whatever mm-hmm. you go online to do that yes and to purchase it it goes into a wallet which is called a hot wallet and because that's online so it's mm-hmm. visible on the internet yeah. to secure your 
assets, your crypto assets, you take it offline, although not a lot. Uh, in the, at the beginning, quite a few people didn't, but um, and then they got raided. But you take it uh-huh. offline into a cold wallet where it's mm. inaccessible by anybody else on the net, but it has passwords, and these can be incredibly complicated. And you can also use something called a hardware wallet, which mm-hmm. is like a um, information stick. And the stick will have a little screen on one side of it in which you code in your PIN. And if it's a ledger stick, then it will have 24 seed words that you have to be able to confirm when they come up. Not not all what? 24, but if they say, you know, what's number three seed word, and if it's snail, you write yes or no. And um, if you write the wrong yes or no, then you get locked out of your hardware wallet. Oh, my so, God. What? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's the problem. See, yeah. quite a lot of people don't remember it. So you do no. have to have a means of remembering it because money has been lost by people who've forgotten their passwords and they have a stick and they know there's a million dollars on it in Bitcoin, but they can't access it. Oh and unless God. they remember the correct passwords, they will never access it and that money will be lost. Wow. So, yeah. So a cold wallet in the book are the offline storage areas where the assets of the exchange were kept. Yes, okay, right. And everybody wants to find the passwords to be able to get to the assets. Oh, and if they can't find the passwords, then those assets are lost forever. Really? So there's like a time limit or something, or do they just live there and no one can access them? They're in virtual limbo land. Oh my it's like, it's like if you've burned a whole lot of money, you know, it's just gone. Oh, that's so, oh, oh that's petrifying. <laughs> oh, that must be so stressful for people. My God. Oh. Well, that's why Craziness. you do have to be computer literate to be, to be involved with, um, or technolo- technology literate yeah. um, to be involved with cryptocurrency. And anybody who isn't comfortable with it should stay well away yeah. and stick to normal banks. Well, I think, I mean, this is kind of what I I suppose provides such a lovely kind of conflicted basis for our story for Jess in a lot of ways, right? Because it's sort of, it's, 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 it's quite clear that Andrew, her, you know, tragically lost husband, Mm -hmm. um, is incredibly savvy. Like he knows every single thing to do, every single person to speak to about how to maximize what it is that he's after, right? And he's a genius. He's an absolute genius, right? And so in a way, I mean, I kind of, I kind of love the fact that we're learning with Jess yeah. about about this whole thing, you know, like the and, and 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 in a way now knowing all of that, I mean I didn't before obviously, but knowing all of that, it really the stakes for her in this book are so much higher than, for example, just little old me sitting here thinking like, oh, she doesn't have the right signature for the bank manager. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. like, like the stakes yeah. are just huge, but also um just that kind of nature of, you know, big business, big finance, all of those, you know, kind of one percent lauders and things like that. The nature that yeah. he does have that 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 business partner and that there will generally be a whole sort of slew of like paperwork and things like that with regards to how many other people have um have rights to any of that or 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 actually can you know like have have their fingers in the pies of 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 things that they did collectively as business partners and stuff like that it just i mean it makes it such a convoluted and incredibly complex high stakes situation for it that is. young and woman you know yeah and that's the tension in the book 
yeah. as to yeah. how she can, one, learn about it quickly enough mm. to fend off the people who are out to do bad things. Yeah, sure. That's where the thriller aspect of it comes into it. Yeah. So was it, I yeah. mean, was it kind of like almost like a sort of auteur-like journey in a way? I mean, you know, you you were obviously learning about all of this stuff as as the creator and as the writer as well. Was yeah. was was Jess as a character always going to be there as the protagonist or did she sort of emerge based on the fact that it was quite clear that that her voice needed to be the one that we we as laymen, for lack of a better word, heard mm. this sort of story through? Or was she kind of like a sort of voice that seemed like um seemed like a a you, like a your voice, mm. you know, sort of slowly learning about this kind of thing. Uh, she's both. She mm. she needed to learn about it, but she was also a young doctor who'd spent all her time being a doctor and no time learning about life. And so she's yeah. quite naive. And she 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 she's just quite naive. And so mm. she's vulnerable when she doesn't know that she is vulnerable. And yes. that adds to the story. And the other part of her is that she has a backstory that she doesn't want to be exposed. And yeah. unfortunately, that does happen. The person who arrived from nowhere was Henry, who mm. is Andrew's business partner. So when yeah. I was writing Jess's story, Henry suddenly popped up with his own voice. So the book is told from Jess's point of view as the naive wife learning about both cryptocurrency and what her husband was really like. And Henry, who was her husband's business partner associate, Mm-hmm. and what his motivations are. And also it explores his relationship with Andrew and why they were so close and oh, cool. and the different loyalties that they each had to each other. So mm. Andrew is actually a very small character in the book apart from how other people related to him. And so we learn about Andrew in his relationship with Jess and in his relationship with Henry and how the actions after his death inform us about the man mm. that Andrew was. Yeah, it's, it is. Mm. It can be. It sounds more complex, but hopefully, it reads quite well. And people have said that they enjoyed it and couldn't put it down, and they read it till two in the morning and that sort of thing, which is the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I've heard. I've heard nothing but really positive feedback from it. Um, has there? Has there also been? Um, well, I mean, like one of my questions was in and around whether or not you you sort of um, utilized any sort of like consultancy. Like, did you speak with anyone from the kind of crypto world or anyone? I mean, I don't know. Are there are there people in New Zealand that are working in? in... Oh yes, yeah, Gosh, there are yes. obviously. Yeah, yeah, there right. are. And I was lucky that um, there was a, a basically as soon as I started talking, they could tell that I was an absolute bunny. <laughs> right at the beginning when I was trying yeah. to work things out. So, And I am never ashamed to ask the dumbest questions in the whole wide world because if yeah. I don't understand it, then there's no point in me doing it. So I went in asking the dumbest questions to make sure that I really understood the basics. And yeah. they all thought that I was being really um, a little bit, they were very patient with me, shall I say that. But there are a lot of people, because we had our own um, cryptopia problem down in Christchurch. Oh, really? What's that? Oh, one of the exchanges went bust in 2018 and a lot of money was gone and our own Securities Commission investigated that and it's still being investigated by the receivers 
And um, so a lot of that was in the press. So that was Mm. quite interesting. And I was able to um, follow how that investigation went along to add that to the book. But also um, my accountant um, was able to help me help put me in touch with people who I could talk to about the finer points of cryptocurrency and the blockchain. And I have to thank them for their patience. Mm. But they are they are right onto it because you know New Zealand is a linked in country. We yeah. um we interact with everybody and all sorts of things happen in this country. There is mm. money moving all over the place in many mysterious ways. Yeah. And we you know, we can't think that just because you live in Martinborough and the people at the golf club overfeed your dog on sausages when you don't want them to, yeah. that that sort of simple life is what we're actually part of. We're actually part of a global connected system where huge important things are happening and we need to be aware of that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Gosh. I know it's, it's, uh, um, so when, uh, so, so that was, what did, did you say that that Christchurch bust was 2018, 2019? Um, no, it was, was a few years ago. Yeah, it was a couple of few years yeah. ago. It was 2017, 18 in any case. And I think about 23 million disappeared up in smoke. Far out. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's insane to think about, eh? Far out. Yeah. Well, I mean. But, is, but I, have to, I have to say that the new exchanges in New Zealand hmm. are very reliable you have to, and the the banking regulations that you have to go through now to set up a, an account as a customer is you have to, you know, there's the know your customer rules, and you also have to provide proof of who you are, mm. um, and and uh, the the regulations are upheld. Yeah, things that didn't happen five or six years ago because it's an evolving technology. Mm. So things are evolving to keep the customer much safer than they were five or six years ago. Yeah, understandably so as well, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, is the, like, speaking on that, there is... There is still, regardless of how volatile it is as a market, there is still, I mean... It's it's alluring, right? I mean, you're talking in numbers like 23 million. You know, I mean, it's a it's yeah. it's, it's it's regardless of how much you know about it, it's an incredibly alluring thing to to sort of contemplate on. So, was the kind of lure of the topic in some way informed by the volatile like by by the volatility of the market that they're used or purchased in? Oh yes, because there's been all sorts of stories right back from the beginning. And yeah. you know, in 2014, Mount Gox was a um, was an exchange based in Japan, and it handled 80% of the Bitcoin transactions in the world, and it went up in smoke, and all that money yeah. disappeared. So Gosh. there have been all sorts of cowboys. There were things called the Lamborghini cowboys, and what they would do would they would come in. Set up, and this has happened. This has happened with NFTs as well. They would come in, set up the next greatest thing, advertise it around. A whole lot of people would buy the coins, and um, and then they would cash out and disappear, buy their Lamborghinis, and never be heard from again. So there's all sorts. I mean, really, it was NFTs probably still are the wild west, and you have to be very careful of that because there are all sorts of charming cowboys out there who will take your money very easily. Mm, yeah, God, crazy, crazy. Um, all right, well, uh, stepping stepping onward uh, away from our mm. cryptocurrency chat because I'm just mindful of our time. Um, yeah. So, is there a reason that you're drawn to writing mysteries and thrillers? 
particularly? Or because uh, I like reading them. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And I also <laughs> like strong women um, who are the heroines and who rise above their circumstances and their situation. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Um, one other little sort of controversial little point that I remember hearing on your um, RNZ interview with Jim Mora, um, mm. my ears kind of spiked. It was around the conversation that you had. Um, oh, it was it was um, around student loans and the whole university system. It was I think it was one of your characters had referenced how out of date and like obsolete more or less the university yeah. qualification thing was once it was printed, given how yeah. much of a fiscal investment that you have to make to get it. And I think you you kind of stepped forward to mention, you know, like you spoke about the kind of lack of like actual well-versed ability for young people to genuinely just enter the workforce that they've trained to be in once they've done so, you know, like, so we, we have heaps of highly educated people who have appeared to follow their desires or follow their vocations, which is great, but without much of a knowledge of how to translate that into a tangible and or slightly even rewarding job. Um, I mean, I, I trained in the arts. I've got a lot of other peers of mine who are training to do exactly what you're doing now, you know, um, tra- like training to become professional writers. And yeah. um, a lot of them may yet still be to publish their works despite owing the government thousands of dollars, you know, um, so yeah. is this, my question, I suppose, at, at, at the end of that was, is that something that you've sort of witnessed and experienced? Or is this kind of like a kind of commentary of yours on the state of our student loan and sort of tertiary systems, do you think? Both. Yeah? Both. Yeah. Um, I was brought up by uh, my mother and my parents separated when I was young and I was brought up by a working mother when women didn't work. Yeah. Which shows how old I am. And she was a child of the depression, and and then one of the one of the most transformative experiences I ever had in my life was I won a competition once, a writing competition in the UK, and nice. I won a trip to India and Nepal to go tiger hunting. So I did that, and um, in Nepal I visited a Tibetan refugee centre where these young girls were sitting on concrete floors in a very cold warehouse making carpets and I sort of went up and I said do you, do you enjoy your work and this mm. girl sort of muttered something in Nepalese and the translator said if you don't work you don't eat mm. and I thought well quite right too yep. she's told me off and so I sometimes think that that we have this myth about working that you can do what you like and that everybody is going to be happy and life is just wonderful and mm. blah, blah, blah. I didn't start full-time writing until I could afford to. Yeah. And that had meant yeah. that I'd worked 40 years in many jobs and worked quite hard. Um, and even now I would say that writing is a tenuous way to make a living at best. And mm. no matter how many hours you put in, there's an awful lot of people in the world. There's an mm-hmm. awful lot of competition for resources. There's uh, and competition uh, is is the nature of individuals and species. Yeah. And someone once said to me, you know, social socialism is a great idea, but human beings are the wrong species to do it. Mm, yeah. Mainly because of our competitive instinct and our hierarchical behaviours. And if you look at primates you see exactly the same behaviors that human beings have it's it's innate and no matter what anybody says that you know you can educate people out of innate aggressive competitive behaviors i'm really sorry but to go back and study primates 
um, and primate society to um, to see where our behaviours come from. Mm. That's where Jane Jane Goodall's also a heroine of mine. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that, I think that we need to educate people to be practical. Yeah. And be able to fit into a workforce that is rapidly changing. And a degree doesn't always do that. It's a good yeah. place to go and learn where to grow up. Mm-hmm. That's a very expensive education. So that you, you're actually going to come out with something that's going to earn you the money to put food in your mouth. Yeah. And um, that's just my philosophy of life for what it's worth. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Well, I would... Um, uh, probably, I mean, one of our one of our final questions is, what advice would you give to emerging writers out there? So I'm going to, I'm going to take that and um, <laughs> and sort of insert it into that into that section of our interview. It seems like um one of the one of the kind of keys would be for people to understand that it does require a significant work ethic, and that you know, um, you might need to have multiple strings to your bow. Really, is there anything else that you'd say to that? Well. I think you do need multiple strings to your bow. Anything in the arts is a luxury. It's not essential, Mm. Um, no matter what people in the arts say. um, People have really good ideas, but it's the people who can put those ideas into action who actually are successful. Mm -hmm. And um, most emerging artists have at least one other job to support their artistic endeavours. The um, woman who's just won the Ockham Prize for her wonderful book about the bird woman, she mm-hmm. has other jobs. She, yep. I think she has three other jobs. Mm-hmm. And so you have to love what you do. You have to want to be good at it. You have to sit down every day and actually do it. Mm. And despite the rejections, you have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it with the full knowledge that it might not work and you might actually have spent your whole life writing crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Humble pie, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm quite that. pleased that um, Cold Wallet is not crap. It has it has been very, very well reviewed in the USA and yeah. the UK and in New Zealand. So I'm quite proud of that book. Yeah, good. Yeah. So you should be yeah. as well. It's awesome. All right. Oh, okay. Thanks. Well, we have we have about two minutes or so left. So I'm going to fire you two two quick quick little questions. So um, one of them was, what is it? What what was it like engaging in the audiobook production process? And or was this your Fun. first audiobook? Fun. Yes. Cool. My, my, no, my first audiobook. Unfortunately, the first session was plagued by my gut noises. Oh, I love and, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all I did was gurgle and gurgle and poor old Troy. He was. And, and you know, my gut was more active than I've ever heard it before in my life. So yeah, I would say yeah. to anybody doing an audio book, get your gut under control. I know. <laughs> it's always so hard whether to just like, to, in, like just in terms of your scheduling of those sessions, you go, okay, do I do before lunch or after lunch? Because either yeah. way, it's a real hit and miss. <laughs> yeah. you know. It is. It is. And once it starts, it it seems to get oh, worse, not better. Right, you can't escape it. It's mad. Thank oh, goodness! No. Thank goodness that we have wonderful technicians here as well and engineers that can suss all of yes. that for us. It's a good thing. Exactly. Boy <laughs> yes. was very, very patient, but the look on his face grew increasingly sort of, "Oh my God, what have we got here?" <laughs> you just say, "Just a normal woman, thanks, who's had a meal. That's all." Buggy. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Okay. Final, final question, which is what I ask everyone. And I have a feeling that it may exist somewhere up here. Um, although this was, you know, your kind of written answer. I know that there was a book that really, um, that you dug when you were younger. Uh, what was it called? The, um, My Family and Other Animals. Um, do you have a recollection or do you remember your first ever audiobook experience or like oral storytelling experience? My first experience of oral storytelling was my mother reading us stories before we went to bed every night. Yeah. And, yeah, and you cuddle in and you follow the pages and you can touch the pictures on the page and then you can just lie back and listen to the stories. And I think that's that experience is entirely different from reading a book, mm -hmm. having someone read it to you with the expression and the characters gives a new dimension to a book which yeah it's just an, an addition to our wonderful modern life that we mm. have now that we didn't have you know 30 years ago unless you were blind and mm. um so yeah I think reading books and being read to is a completely different and most wonderful sensation yeah yeah I'd have to agree what was it like because because you self-narrated didn't you you narrated the a cold yes, wallet yes, yeah yes how was it? Was it, it, it was it as you'd expect? Um, it was, but I did prepare for it by reading the book again. And mm. once you've written a book and then edited it and then edited it and then edited it and then read it again and everything else, it does become, yeah. So reading it, I was surprised at the different voices that came out of the characters, and I hope I was able to do them justice. Particularly reading a male voice was interesting yeah and interesting what you bring to that yeah. but um no I enjoyed it and I must say that Troy the engineer in Wellington just made it an absolute pleasure to do um despite my gurgling noises and um he was so professional and so quick and so onto it that it was just easy yeah Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. I love that we actually have the ability to do them now as well. You know, like there was, you know, there's the, um, I mean, I, I, I do narration for Blind Low Vision NZ. So prior right. to, like prior to actually working with Audiobooks NZ, like you said, it was a, it was, yeah. it was a service that was really only for people that were vision impaired. So it's a, yeah. you know, it's a kind of, it's an awesome thing to be able to just have, you know, God bless technology. We love yeah. it. <laughs> and the number um, of people I know who just plug in their um, headphones and go about their day listening to books mm. um, while they're doing other things that they wouldn't have done before. It's yeah. huge and it's growing so quickly. And there are so many wonderful books that you can get and so many wonderful narrators. So it's it's fascinating. Now it's a whole it does it does breathe life into a whole other sort of area of of um of your book really you know I, like I mean it's all it's all it's all about accessibility and about making it as easy as possible for as many people in an audience to get it right so exactly yeah. it's like putting 3d words in place yeah oh I like that 3d words yeah I love it that's cool um now lastly very lastly yeah. you do have another few writing projects that are on the go do you want to like fill us in on a couple of them as well because well, there are I've more just... books to come <laughs> yes, there are more books to come. At the moment, I'm still doing my Euphemia Sage superheroine series yep. um, for midlife women with superpowers. Nice. Um, so <laughs> Empty Nest is the book that I have just published, which is doing very well, and that's set in the Waira wrapper. Euphemia oh. and her friend Jane go to a farm, and the 
wildlife sanctuary has been sabotaged by person or persons unknown, and so they have to find that out. And then I'm just in the process of editing the fourth book in the Euphemia Sage series called No Retreat, and Euphemia and Jane end up going to a retreat on Waiheke Island, and all the food is green, and the only thing to drink is water. So for a coffee addict, it's quite a tricky place to survive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's going to be out in August. And then I'm going to do the fifth book in the Euphemia Sage series, which is set when she goes back to find the origins of her superpowers in a village in the Cotswolds in England. And mm. then after that, I have an idea for a thriller that probably won't be as um, intensely researched in, uh, like into a field like cryptocurrency, but probably based, well, I can't say because if I say, I'll jinx it. Okay. So, yeah, a thriller, a thriller. <laughs> but there is plenty, plenty more to come from, you know, to, 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 to follow up with everything that you've already got going on anyway. At least. Oh, I just love writing. Yeah. It's Good. just fantastic to be able to go into another world and see what comes out. Yeah. Oh, we're so very, very lucky and glad to be able to have you as part of our literary community, Rosie. It's been oh, lovely, lovely to talk to you. And I cannot wait to be able to get my hands into um, a bunch of the Euphemia Sage. Um, well, I mean, it's 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 called a trilogy. Like somewhere I, I I saw that it was written as a trilogy, but clearly that's not the case, right? It's No, no, it's now the Chronicles. It's the Chronicles. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As long as we're clear on that, it's the Chronicles. Good. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rosie. And thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back with you in another few weeks with another exciting author. Thank you, Romy. Bye. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Romy Hooper. You've been listening to Sound Salad for all things spoken and all things heard. To hear more Sound Salad episodes, go to www.soundsalad.co.nz. This has been brought to you by my gold sponsor, Audiobooks NZ. Check out their library at www.audiobooksnz.co.nz. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell.